God does not have a covenant with America. We are not, Americans are not God's people. Hello friends and welcome. Let me start today with a Bible verse that most of us have memorized. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men in the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for very long, you should know that we should rejoice that we live under a new covenant with God and that this scripture is from the old covenant. So in the old covenant, the consequence and remedy of many sins was to stone the person, to put the person to death. In the new covenant, the remedy for sin is grace. So where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And that is awesome. That's so wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us grace, that the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, this is a difficult time in the United States. We're trying to figure out our election, and I think it's going to all be just fine. But in the meantime, um, I have seen so many people quoting Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Next verse says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Now, I have no idea why so many churches love to pick this verse out of the Old Covenant when the verse before it and the verse after it and the chapter before it and the chapter after it, they don't want to quote any of those verses. I mean, to, to keep that verse in context, you would have to read verse 15 and to say that, well, the prayer that he's going to be attentive to is the prayer made in that place. And this is in the context of Solomon dedicating the temple in Jerusalem to the Lord. Now, the last temple was destroyed in AD 70, so even if you could get to Jerusalem, there's no temple there for you to pray at. But fear not, there's no need to dismay. In the new covenant, the believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The believer is the connecting point of heaven and earth and the conduit of bringing God's kingdom to earth. And the problem with quoting Second Chronicles 7.14 uh, I see a lot of problems with that. But let's start with this idea. God does not have a covenant with America. We are not, Americans are not God's people. So if you're trying to make that application, that's crazy to begin with. Okay, but if you shift and say, no, the people that he's calling to are the church. Well, this shouldn't describe the church to begin with. Like the church shouldn't be walking in wicked ways. Uh, the church 
is not like Old Covenant Israel that had a code of laws to abide by, and if we keep the code of laws, then God would bless us. That's Old Covenant Israel. In the New Covenant, Israel has been expanded to include Gentiles, and Gentiles can become grafted into Israel, can become participants of the commonwealth of Israel, can be Jews by faith, children of Abraham by faith, and we can participate in a covenant that Christ guarantees. Hebrews says that Christ is the guarantor of a better covenant. So the covenant is not kept by us keeping God's law, keeping the Ten Commandments, keeping the Levitical laws and, you know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those. The covenant is kept by what Jesus did for us. He guarantees that the covenant is always kept. So if there's people who need to get saved and repent and turn from their wicked ways, those people should get saved and come into the church. Now, I agree that if all the people in a nation would get saved and enter into the covenant relationship that God provides through Jesus Christ, then the land would definitely be blessed. When people submit their lives to the reign of God, to the rulership, the lordship of Jesus, they are a blessed people. Blessed is the country whose God is the Lord. But the covenant is not with the American government. The covenant is with the church that is the called out ones of Jesus Christ, the assembly of Jesus Christ. So when God is describing the new covenant that he's going to make in Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 33, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And remember, Gentiles get to be included in this by faith through Christ. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when we get saved, we become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and the New Testament talks about we live by the Spirit. In the Old Covenant, they live by the law. Moses said that those who do these things shall live by them. But in the New Covenant, we don't live according to the law. We live according to, that is, depending on, in agreement with the Holy Spirit living in us that empowers us to live out the law of Christ, which is to love people as Christ loved us. So as new covenant believers, we are all in process. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, that we're all maturing. In Ephesians, it talks about that we're uh, maturing to the fullness of Christ. But this is a process that takes time. And so everyone in Christ is at a different place and, and we're maturing and we're, we're growing in Christ. But there shouldn't be a case of a bunch of new covenant believers who have began to walk in wickedness and turned away from God, and now they need to humble themselves and repent and come back and restore the covenant. Because the covenant, in the new covenant, the covenant was never broken. God was never counting our sin against us in the new covenant. Now, I think we can find instances of church discipline, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians where there's sexual immorality happening in the church or in Revelation in the letters to the churches, that there can be issues in local churches that need to be dealt with. There can be immorality in a church 
that needs to they need to repent from. But I'm talking about in terms of addressing a whole nation, which is generally the context that I hear Second Chronicles 7.14 quoted in. The context of our whole nation needs to turn from wickedness and, and pray, and then God is going to bless us. Uh, that's only true if the wickedness you're talking about is rejecting the lordship of Jesus. But usually the way that it's portrayed to the way that I hear it being talked about, the way that it hits me is to say that we have to stop doing these immoral things. We have to start being better people so that God will bless us. And that is not how the new covenant works. In Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then in the very next chapter, In Isaiah 54, it says, This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, and I will not rebuke you. So in the new covenant, God is never counting our sin against us. Like it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 8, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So in the new covenant, we don't have to be fearful that God is going to take away his blessing, that we are going to be rejected by God. In the new covenant, God's spirit lives within us. We desire to obey God. We want to know him. We are internally driven. Paul said that God's love constrains us. It's not an external law that's laid upon us. That's, That's religion. And so one of the problems that are manifold, in my opinion, of making Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, a verse that you're preaching to society or preaching to the church, is it's trying to pull out an old covenant mindset when the old covenant is was never available to us if you're a Gentile. It, you couldn't access the old covenant. And furthermore, it's not available to anyone at this point because the old covenant has passed away. Hebrews 8.13 says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. Now, Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. So the, the author is foreshadowing to his audience that the temple, the old covenant, is getting ready to vanish away. When the old when, when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 AD, not only did the Jews not have a place to perform uh, their sacrifices and their festivals that the law requires, but the uh, genealogical records of the tribes that the people were from were all destroyed so that there could never be another priesthood from the line of Aaron and, and the tribe of Levi. That's a huge, huge problem. And the so the Old Covenant, the, the author of Hebrews is is prophesying that it it's getting ready to vanish away it's it's obsolete already but it's going to vanish away and it has you cannot live under the old covenant it, it's gone it's it's obsolete but it's already vanished furthermore if if you want Jesus to be your high priest Jesus could not be a high priest under the Mosaic Covenant. That's what much of the book of Hebrews is about, that Jesus is a high priest in the line of Melchizedek. And that requires, a different high priest requires a new law, a new covenant. And so Jesus establishes 
a new covenant. And another interesting thing is is all the other covenants in the Bible, God's covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with David, and the covenant through Jesus are all described in the scripture as everlasting covenants. The only covenant in the Bible that's not described as an everlasting covenant is the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses in the law. That was not an everlasting covenant. That covenant was for a time to protect the nation of Israel, to set them up to be the source of salvation for all the nations of the world. So when Jesus sees the woman at the well, who's a Samaritan, he says, Uh, We Jews worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So it's so discouraging to me to see believers, Christians, Christian leaders using the old covenant as a model for our relationship with God because God is inviting us to something so superior to the old covenant. And I think it sends the wrong message to the church. It sends the wrong message to people outside of the church who also have this mindset that, oh, I I do good and I get good. If I'm a good person, then God will bless me. If I somehow keep the Ten Commandments, then, uh, you know, God's going to heal our land or bless us or whatever. All these ideas that people have, rather than telling people, you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the guarantor of your covenant, that you can always have a right relationship with God. You can always be in fellowship with God. You can always be blessed because of what Jesus Christ has guaranteed for you through his death and resurrection. Now, of course, I think it's a great thing to pray. I think it's great when people turn from their wicked ways. I think it's great when uh, people come together and ask God to to bless their land. That's what Paul says that people should do. He says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So I'm, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that uh, Christians shouldn't come together and pray. That's how we administrate the rule of God. We get to be God's covenant partners in prayer, praying out the things on God's heart. That's why the gift of prophecy is so useful. And, you know, I just finished that series on prayer and it talked about the role of prophecy and intercession, and we need the voice of the prophets. But um, perhaps it's living in Texas now that uh, just I've seen this verse quoted over and over, and I think it's so out of context, and it's not the message that the New Testament church has been entrusted with. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling the world to God through Christ, not telling people, stop being so wicked and pray more, and then God will heal our land. If we want people to stop being wicked, we need them to fall in love with Jesus. Jesus wanted people's hearts, and his rule extends through people's lives through capturing them with love. It's the goodness and the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. And so sinners were comfortable being around Jesus. Sinners wanted to be with Jesus. People who were rejected by the religious types uh, were drawn to Jesus because he just loved them. He just served them. He just accepted them. He, He forgave their sins. He gave them mercy. And so to say that um, by seeking God's face and turning from our wicked ways that we have somehow merited God's blessing and God healing our land 
is an affront to Christ. It's a misunderstanding of the covenant that we're under, that Jesus established for us in his blood. And I think it's just such a, it's such a pity, really, that there's something so much better available to us. And for whatever reason, this verse has become uber popular and people love to talk about it all the time without mentioning the verse before it or the verse after it. Which, you know, if you take something and you quote it and it doesn't mean what you want it to mean if you read the verse before it and you read the verse after it, then maybe that's something you shouldn't do. So, you know, I'm again, I'm, I'm not telling people not to pray and I want the wicked to, to repent and, uh, you know, put their faith in Jesus and become new covenant believers. Um, but it's so important to understand the covenant that we live under with God and to realize that we are free from all sin, not free to sin. We're free from all the sin, all the shame, because Jesus has set us free. Jesus has paid the price, and we can now become the conduits of administrating God's righteous kingdom. So just something uh, for you to think about. And um, again, I want people to pray. So I'm not saying don't pray. Prayer is awesome. But we need to pray with the confidence that Hebrews talks about. That's exactly what Hebrews is addressing in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that uh, Jesus has qualified us to be in the presence of God. And we can find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because we know that we have access to all of the resources of the kingdom of God, not because we've been faithful to keep the covenant, but because Jesus has guaranteed the covenant for us. Okay, thank you for listening. God bless you.